Hello and welcome to another edition of Heavy Meta. I am oh, I am Bryce Kundick and I'm joined with Kelly Glavin. And this is episode we just decided it's episode 19. One nine. You know, and we're joined today by none other than Jonathan Cohen. And Jonathan, thank you first of all for coming on the show and being willing to talk to, with us. Um, for those of you audience members out there who don't know Jonathan, would you mind introducing who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a professor of philosophy here at UMF. I have been here since 1992, uh, teaching courses all over the discipline of philosophy, all the history of philosophy from the pre-Socratics right up to the present day. Um, focus somewhat on ethics, logic. I've also taught philosophy of education, philosophy of music, philosophy and literature. Uh, I taught a course on Jewish thought years ago. Um, sort of whatever whatever needs doing. Man, that, that that's is... A, that's a lot of philosophy. All of the above. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, have, you, have you noticed anything change in philosophy uh, since you've been teaching here? Um, well, uh, that is an excellent question. I guess there has been a growth and... and my book is sort of related to that, uh, in interest in making philosophy less ivory tower and more related to everyday life. So the whole series of uh, uh, philosophy and popular culture books, which are pretty well known, um, started around that time. Uh, there's been a lot more work about people just talking about philosophy in their own lives as opposed to doing abstract uh, uh, studies. So what's a for instance? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you said uh, philosophy yeah. and popular culture. Uh, yeah. as if oh, many yeah. people would hear would know that. Oh, I, I see. I do not. Oh, okay. That, so. so there's a series of books where there, there was one like uh, philosophy and Seinfeld, or philosophy and uh, Lord of the Rings, or whatever, where they look at some cultural object. And a whole, you know, dozen philosophers or so will each write an essay about something having to do with that uh, cultural item. There's a whole series in sports, so philosophy and baseball, philosophy and football. So it's not like they're finding statements by Plato on football <laughs> and baseball. No. It's more philosophers, current philosophy professors right. or philosophers are right. Um, writing about it. Right. So the ethics of the Seinfeld cast, for example who are notorious for being not especially ethical. Non-ethical, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not nice people. Right, right. Um, so uh, there's been a lot of that. I think students are, uh, are looking for that more. Um, so especially UMF, where a lot of our students um, don't come necessarily from uh, uh, homes where there was a lot of intellectual discussion. Uh, and they're 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 perfectly happy to, to study. They're perfectly happy to learn about a lot of things. But they really, I find students really come alive when I manage to get our discussion going to uh, some contemporary issue or, that or they thing can relate that they, to. Yeah, yeah or, or or a piece of music that they've heard or whatever, or mu movie or whatever. Huh. Uh, I think a lot of UMF faculty are really good at presenting things yeah. in a fun sort of culture way. Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's characteristic of Maine, too, that Mainers are very practical. They want to know how does this affect my life or the real yeah. world. They're not willing to just sort of go off into abstract yeah. uh, issues. So do you have many students, I would imagine, I mean, so I was an English major, and already as an English major, people were like, what are we going to do with that? Mm -hmm. So I got to imagine 
that there's people who are like, I'd like to study philosophy, but I'm afraid my parents are going to kill me. Uh, what, what is your go-to response? I get that a lot. Well, when somebody asks, what can you do with a philosophy degree? I tell them the proper response is, anything I want. <laughs> because it allows you to go in so many different directions. Philosophy you know, sharpens the mind. Uh, you learn how to read closely, how to write clearly. It's exactly the characteristics that people look for in a college graduate. Uh, and an employer will assume that somebody who studied philosophy, you know, is smart, first of all, it's hard. They assume that this person can look at things from different angles, can think outside the box. You know, in so many careers where uh, jobs get redefined every few years and you have to adapt to new circumstances and think about how to use new technology or whatever, uh, being able to think that way in new, new frames of reference is actually really valuable. So. Yeah, that's a good response. Yeah, yeah. I think you've got this down. Yeah, I think well, you've I th got some practice. <laughs> so, outside of the obviously brilliant community of people that resides here at UMF, are you scared by how dumb America is? Now? <laughs> Does yes. that frighten you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I like it. It makes me the smartest person in America. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, when you mentioned ethics, I, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. certainly the difference in, I would think, the difference in ethics from the 19, 1992 when you started here at yeah. UMF and, and now, not saying at UMF, but like yeah. globally and particularly perhaps in politically speaking, yeah. uh, it's depressingly different. Um, tone has definitely changed, and I was noticing this in the, the outpouring of support for uh, uh, Bush, who, who died recently, and everybody mm. realizing... Boy, those were the good old days <laughs> when, I, you know, when someone just had ideals of public service. And, you know, obviously there were all kinds of partisan differences. And, I, you know, I voted against them at the time. But yeah. um, uh, things have gotten a lot they more bitter. They look pretty bitter. good in retrospect. So, yeah, things have gotten more bitter nowadays. <laughs> so fast forward um, 20 years from now, uh, or 25 years from now, do you think people will be like, ah, oh, good old Trump. I miss the days when we weren't just out there just shooting people at random. I mean, like I like where I don't know where it goes from from here. You know, I mean, like or or hopefully does it swing the other way and we're like, oh, thank goodness that I don't know. Um, I'm hopeful. I can't help Hope it. Hope springs. Eternal. I can't help it. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. people realize n nobody likes it this way. Yeah. Uh, and I think if nobody likes it this way, there is some hope at least that we can. Uh, uh, move out of that. I, I don't have a lot of confidence. I mean, I'll tell you, well, actually one thing that does give me confidence is if you look at American history, there have been lots of periods even more bitter. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the Jefferson versus Adams stuff from the early years of the Republic, they, I mean, they called each other the Antichrist and, uh, I mean, really nasty stuff. And, of course, we did have an actual shooting civil war uh, 150 years ago. So things have been worse. Yeah. That is an past. excellent point. So um, hopefully, hopefully they can get better. So to I, I think this is a good setup because you've written a book on Nietzsche. Yes. And uh, you know I mean Nietzsche is well known for sort of like being kind of blank, bleak. I would say I am not a philosopher. I did take one philosophy class. Yeah. Just <laughs> enough to make me dangerous and forget. We, we don't want to talk about that no, probably. Yeah. Okay. Not. So uh, tell us a bit about, about who Nietzsche is and what yeah. you've written about him. So Nietzsche uh, was a philosopher in the 19th century, born 1844. Um, he lived part of his life in Germany, but uh, 
left that pretty soon. He became a professor in Basel, Switzerland, a professor of classics, actually, so ancient Greek and Roman text. But he was very sickly. He actually was sickly his whole life, and eventually his illnesses forced him to leave the university on a disability pension. And he spent the rest of his life... Um, so, so he leaves the university in 1876 or 7, uh, and then uh, wanders, basically, for the next... Uh, 13 years or so in uh, northern Italy, south eastern France, Switzerland. He occasionally comes back up into Germany for a visit, um, but he's mostly wandering around looking for um, the right climate. He thought the climate affected his illnesses a lot. So in the winter, he wants to be somewhere warm. In the summer, he wants to be somewhere cool. He likes, you know, dry weather. And so, so he's always dr uh, moving around, trying to, trying to find a good uh, uh, climate for himself. Um, and his, his vantage point changes also. In his early years, he's a supporter of German unification. Uh, this is in the 1860s. Uh, and 1871 is when Germany unifies. He thinks um, that political unification will lead to a cultural revival. He's very excited about that. Once it actually happens, he realizes that his hopes were misplaced, that it's just about nationalistic jingoism. Uh, he develops a new ideal of what he calls the good European, who is a cosmopolitan, able to move in a lot of different cultures. Uh, and of course, that reflects his own life, too, as a nomad. Um, so he does have this uh, uh, reputation for being... Uh, um, what I want to say, sort of violently against things. Uh, he's called, uh, there's a review of one of his books where he's described as, this is no man, this is dynamite. And of course he was very excited about, yeah, man, I'm dynamite, I'm blowing things up. But actually once you read him, it's a lot less uh, destructive and a lot more thoughtful about what goes into making a, a developing culture, how does culture grow, um, how can we come to appreciate different cultures? How can we grow as individuals in such a way that we can contribute positively to culture? Um, he's much less of a wild man once you read him than those short little quotes um, uh, can lead him to Like to God is thought. dead. So mind. God is dead is a classic case <laughs> right. where it sounds like, oh, that means you know th there's just nothing worth living for anymore. But his point about that is... Um, since in modern times people don't believe in the way they used to in olden times, we need new sources of value. So whereas people used to just say, oh, God and religion will settle the problem of value, people have come to realize in modern times, it's up to us. Mm -hmm. um, the line that people never quote after that, the full quote is, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how the growth of science, um, uh, has led people to now uh, uh, no longer need religious explanations so much. How in any situation, whatever the highest values are, eventually become stagnant and people can't believe them anymore and we need to replace them with something new. And so in our own time, we have to recognize that we are the ones who create value. We are the ones who give meaning to the earth and we gotta, we gotta get on the ball. We gotta find meanings that will avoid the nihilism that he thinks does follow naturally from, from God being dead, right? We used to think of everything as having a meaning. There's providence even in the fall of the sparrow, and then that meaning falls away. So now what are we going to do? we gotta, we got to make our own meaning. Hmm. 
I see the name of your of your book there is in Nietzsche's footsteps. So uh, is this a a literal or a figurative sort of following him around? Both, exactly both. The book is about the trip my family took in 2008 where uh, we knew we wanted to take the kids. I have four kids. We knew we wanted to take them to Europe. We didn't know where. Uh, everybody had a different destination that they wanted to go to. My wife turned to me one day uh, and said, well, you, you've just turned 50. Um, where have you always wanted to go? And I said, well, I've always wanted to go to Turin. It's the last place Nietzsche lived before his breakdown. And he writes about it as the most wonderful city. So I've always been curious. And we thought, well, that's interesting. And I said a few days later, you know, I've also always wanted to visit Sils Maria. It's a little town in Switzerland. It's where he used to spend his summers. And the boarding house where he used to stay has been turned into a little museum for him. His room is preserved. His books are there. I've been curious to see that. And then a few days later, I found a letter where he says, I've figured life out, meaning his wanderings, where are the places to live. So in the summer, you're in Switzerland. In the shoulder seasons, you're in Turin, which is in the Piedmont region of Italy, so the foothills. Uh, and then in the winter, he spent his winters in Nice, in France, because uh, it's on the Riviera. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And if you look at a map, they're all sort of near each other in southwestern France, southeastern France, northwestern Italy, and then the eastern end of Switzerland. They're sort of in a diagonal. You get the Riviera, you get the Piedmont, you get the Alps, you get French, you get Italian, you get German. It's like a nice little European... It's like European, the God is Dead road trip. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a European sampler set. Uh, and we thought this would be a great uh, uh, way to take the kids. And of course, not as crowded as Paris, Rome, you know, the big yeah. destinations. So, so we came up with this trip, and immediately I called it in Nietzsche's footsteps for two reasons. One is... We know where he walked. He was a big daily walker, hours and hours a day mm -hmm. when he was healthy. Uh, and we know exactly where he was. In fact, some of, his path, some of the paths have been named after him because he was such a famous walker. So I said, we'll actually be literally walking in his footsteps. But also metaphorically, the question is, well, should we follow this guy and his philosophy? Um, especially me, and this is where it sort of gets personal, I'm totally different from him. I've held the same job for most of my creative life. He left his job and wandered around. He never married. He never had kids. Uh, he was a religious renegade, whereas I've stayed loyal to the religion of my, my parents. Um, so I'm totally unlike him. So what on earth could he teach me? Why, why do I think he's interesting? What's the value in this? Mm. And of course, extended by that, well, how about modern culture? Why, why should we follow Nietzsche's footsteps, mm. uh, if at all? So immediately I started calling the, the trip that, and I knew I would want to write a book about it. So um, did your wife regret asking you, hey, you're 50? I mean, like, she's like, I, what I meant was I wanted to go to Rome and Paris. <laughs> yeah. Kids were like, yay, Nietzsche. Hey. <laughs> They, they were all very supportive. It was, it well, that's was good. wonderful. It was a wonderful So it was time. successful. How long were you over there for? It was successful. two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, Did you see anything other than Nietzsche's like, places? Like, we just went to those three places, uh, about five days in each place. And wow. we walked in his footsteps. And we ate the wonderful ate food, food that you have over there. Uh, nothing we, bad with that. Uh, no, yeah. no, it was a great trip. Wow. Um, so... Uh, it lived up to your expectations, hmm. and what did what did you what did you learn from it? I mean, like hmm. when you being over there, where you're like, "Wow, I'm really glad I was there because if I hadn't yeah. been there, I wouldn't know." Yeah, 
it's something I consider in the book. Like, do you really need to do this to understand them? Of course, most people aren't going to. You're just going to read his book, you know, in your living room. And what's the what's the other? I think you do um, get a richer sense of someone's life from going to where they went. In this respect, the book follows uh, another book. There's a book called The Good European, where a Nietzsche scholar and a photographer went to all the places Nietzsche lived and took all kinds of pictures and then you know, published a, a coffee table book, it's a big book, beautiful photos, with quotes from Nietzsche, which seemed to resonate with those places and letters mm-hmm. he wrote about them uh, and passages from his philosophy. He, do, he is a philosopher who's very much in touch with lived life, and so the places where he's living really matter, whereas a lot of other philosophers are very abstract. They really could live anywhere. You, mm-hmm. you don't know where they're from until you look up you know, the list of contributors and you uh-huh. find out where they're from, because it's like a disembodied voice. Whereas Nietzsche's voice is very embodied. He's very he's a real person, a real three-dimensional person. Comes through in his writing. So it was fun to see those places and think about what it would have been like to be him. Uh, there's a passage where I imagine what it would be like to run into him and sit in a cafe together and people watch together and what would he have said and so on. And in his time know. or in our time, were, were you yeah, imagining well this? Well, yeah. both really. Why? Why, why, why do both? Do both. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 19th century was a great century, you know. Uh, absolutely. A lot of great music. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know. Yeah. I, I would have been happy, I think, going back also. But it would yeah, be fascinating to know what he would think of our time as well. Uh, he's a very interesting conversationalist, I, I imagine, in person. Have you ever seen uh, uh, Midnight in Paris? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Well, Kelly's never yeah. seen anything. I've never seen a so, movie in my life. Kelly and our audience. So, Midnight <laughs> Paris is a Woody Allen film with uh, Owen Wilson, yep. who just loves these old um, writers and the writers of the Twenty Fitzgerald, yes. Hemingway, people like that. And yeah. so he's over in Paris, and he's with a, his fiance, who just really wants to do current things. Yes. But he's like, oh, I mean, he's sort of. It reminded me of this because yes. he's like, oh, I'm, I want to walk these streets and just think about where these, you know, where Fitzgerald was here and Hemingway was here and what would have been like. And so then he magically ends up back yeah. with them. And it's just really interesting because they're there and they're looking back even further. They're like, oh, what would it have been like to, I can't remember, like Degas or like I, yeah. like to have been a, back when they were alive. Oh, that was really, and just it's a really interesting sort of how we always sort of keep looking back uh, and wherever you are, you're looking back at whoever right, came before right, you, but right. they're also doing the same thing. So that's it's deep. Just, that's really uh, deep. You know, you should, yeah. I like. I really. I enjoyed it was that fun. Movie. It was fun. In the very last scene, he goes back even further and ha- and has this horizon effect realization. Uh, I'll tell you, this is one of the fun things about Nietzsche. He's very future oriented. His question huh. is always, "Where is humanity going? You know, how can we continue to be productive? How can we?" Uh, rejuvenate our, our spiritual life and so on. It's, it's, so his work is, is quite spiritual, even though he's mm-hmm. famous for this God is Deadline. Yeah. He really is looking for uh, replacement, mm-hmm. uh, in a way. What do you think he would think? I mean, so he was future thinking. Yeah. So say he came to America yeah. today, would yeah. he be like, yep, called it, or I mean like, <laughs> like what would he say? Uh, he'd be horrified by the, <laughs> by the uh, consumer excess and anti-intellectualism and all that mm. stuff. But he did admire America's uh, ability to innovate. He knew Emerson. He had read a lot of uh, Emerson's works, so he knew about America, although he never never visited. So he, he liked the thought of a new country and mm. new uh, openings um, mm. for innovation. 
What research did you have to do for the book, and how did you approach it? Well, I got on the airplane and I <laughs> <laughs> went to these places. No, seriously, I mean, that was the research. Yeah. I, I didn't do new uh, reading of Nietzsche. I'd been reading Nietzsche since junior year in college, and I had been writing about it. I wrote my senior thesis, I wrote my dissertation, I'd been teaching him. So that I didn't really need to do more But the life of, of Nietzsche, and yeah. so you were at the point. Okay. It was a matter of deploying the, the scholarship, and it sort of made the, the writing of it fun. I started to just write you know, the memoir of our trip. Mm. But over and over again, something would say, oh, that reminds me of something Nietzsche says about this. Mm. And then I have a riff about what would Nietzsche say about this or something about his biography that I knew happened in this particular town. So I would be able to talk about that. So it more was sort of a utilizing or actualizing all of this teaching and writing that I had done about him in a scholarly way or an academic way mm. and now uh, deploying it in a in a... Uh, in a book for general readership where I knew, I knew people would not have any familiarity with Nietzsche. Did you have to shop it around a while before you found someone who wanted to publish it? I mean, how did the road to publication go? Uh, it, it did take a while. I showed it to a variety of publishers and they kept saying things like, well, we like the Nietzsche stuff, but you got you to lose the family angle. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that's the whole Ditch point the of the family. book. That's the whole point of the book. Um, and so he, he, here's the story. This is sort of, a, 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 well, let me just tell you the story. So I finally uh, uh, find a publisher at Eighth House. Uh, they operate out of Montreal. And he said, we love it. And they sent me a contract. And one of the clauses in the contract says, author will deliver a finished manuscript within three months. But the, the editor put in a line saying, uh, the publisher recognizes that the author has already satisfied this part of the contract. So final manuscript, what? fabulous. Yeah. So he says, all right, we'll just do our own editing and we'll mm -hmm. send it back to you. And a few months later, he sent the his edited version and it had been slashed oh, to no. pieces. Oh, boy. It had been edited with a machete to the point where there were you know, pronouns that didn't have their reference anymore or all kinds of things had been chopped up. And I was just heartbroken. I said, oh my God, this is terrible. And I was, I was thinking, well, I'll just, I'll just back out or something. Yeah. I'll something. But I decided to show it to my wife first. She's a big reader. Uh, she knew all about the project. I've talked about Nietzsche for many years. And I figured if anybody else loved the family stories, besides me, it would be her, yeah. right? But so she read it and she said, it's better. That actually you don't need as much of the family stuff as I wanted to tell. Mm. Uh, in order to make this connection, in order to show here's a, a 20th, 1st century guy and his family, and he's trying to relate to this 19th century guy who had none of that. She said, that comes through without my telling all the stories. So they just tightened it up for you. They tightened it up. Well, and one of my early readers had said, uh, look, sometimes family stories should just stay family stories. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so I came to recognize that actually that perspective was better and that I could accomplish the same, hmm. write the same kind of book with the balance being shifted that way. And yeah. a number of, some readers liked the family stuff more and some readers than Nietzsche, but I decided uh, I would go with this editor's instinct. I think uh, that's a really valuable thing for, for yeah. new writers, especially to learn that yeah. sometimes yeah. somebody else is going to beat your work up a little bit, but it's going to be and some, be better for it. And sometimes less is more. Sometimes yeah. you, you've made the effect already. You don't need to belabor it. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Uh, anyway, I, I am I am going to construct a family version only and give that to my kids. <laughs> it's the all, the, all the stories I yeah, exactly all the stories I didn't. Yeah, you know, why not? Cut out of the book. Now you're doing you're going to do a reading on Thursday. This coming Thursday, uh, six thirty at the uh, Farmington Public Library. Great. Which is going to be the date because. It, the date of th what's what's the date Thursday? Thirteenth. December thirteenth. Yes. Two thousand eighteen. If you're if you're listening to this in the future, yes. I'm sorry. You <laughs> sorry, you missed it. But I'm happy to do more readings. Just get in contact with me at the university. I, I love doing it. So I knew that I was gonna I was you were gonna be here, and uh, it just so happens that one of my favorite my current favorite one of my current favorite uh, TV shows deals a lot with philosophy, and I wondered if you if you watch it. I know what you're about to say. Go ahead. The Good Place? Yes. And do you watch it? I have watched a few episodes. What did you... Th I mean, I guess you didn't um, like it that much if you well, saw. Well, no, I, I, I would still watch a few more. It's amazingly accurate about philosophy. Huh. There was an episode... I can't remember. I, I'm, I'm, I just started in season three because it sat there on my Hulu, and I said, "Oh, I'll start with season three. Turns out you're actually supposed to. Oh, definitely start with the season beginning. One. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, in one of these episodes, there was a a chalkboard full of stuff about Aristotle's ethics, and I hit pause because I wanted to look at it carefully, <laughs> and it was all accurate. Wow. And I, I've never seen this in a television they, show I've before. never read articles. So for those, yeah. again, for those people like Kelly who don't watch any <laughs> pop culture, um, it's it basically the premise of the show is that uh, the main character wakes up in the afterlife. She's told that she's made it to heaven, and... Uh, congratulations, she's made it to the good place. Uh -huh. And, you know, all the other people went to the bad place, but, hey, she's made it. But it's really hard to get into the good place in this in this uh, world. And the only thing is, is she is fully aware that she didn't do anything of the things that they said she did in order to earn her way into the good place. She's really a rotten person. Yeah. And so she's surrounded by all these wonderful people, and she's trying to sort of fake it to make it. <laughs> and I've read articles about how They've, they've got consulting philosophers on the show hmm. who will help them. And, like, there's these, like, all these in-jokes that philosophy, like, people who really know philosophy would, would understand, like, key philosophers and, like, theorists and everything that me not being one, I'm just like, oh, cool, whatever. But um, it's, it's hilarious. It's thought-provoking. It's peppy. All sort of rolled into what's got Ted Danson in it. Um, Gotta love Ted Danson. Yeah, you know, Kristen like, Bell is very good yep. as the as the trailer and, trash uh, wakes up in heaven. Yeah. Trailer trash. Yeah, I'm that's in. how she describes I'm herself. She describes herself. <laughs> Self-described <laughs> trailer trash. Yeah. Um, so, so you do you have enjoyed it? The, I've watched. It's very sitcommy. I, I have think a, you should. I have, I have a short patience for. I think sitcoms. you should give season one. Yeah. Start from the beginning. I would start okay. from the beginning okay. because I think that. Well, number one, I think a lot of times these days, especially, yeah. the first season of a show, it's got to really shine, or else yeah. it just it gets canceled. Yeah, you know, gone are the days that you can just sort of meander around. Like Seinfeld season one is not nearly as good as later Seinfeld. Yes. And I really wonder would Seinfeld season one have made it today? I don't think right. it would have. I think they would have just been like, yeah, this is doing nothing. Gone right. show about nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I do think okay. um, some of the best, some of the show's best stuff is in that first. Okay. First season. So okay. Give it a shot. Have a look. But um, I don't know. Anything else you you, you want to add? Um. Well, I mean, I, I I hope people will try will try this book out. Uh, I hope people will give Nietzsche a chance. He's, as I said, a lot more interesting than the public reputation of him as just a wild man is. It's a lot more constructive 
uh, uh, societally sensitive kind of view. Uh, he talks about free spirits, for example, who are individuals who go their own way. But what's significant about them is they're creating new ideas and new ways of thinking, which are then important for the rest of uh, the rest of society. So it's not a you know, it, it's very un Anne Rand. I guess that's sort of the way. A lot of people think of it as <laughs> Nietzsche as being an inspiration for Anne Rand and so on. But her, her view is very much sort of to hell with everybody. Whereas he really appreciates, I think, uh, what what society has developed. Um, he does emphasize the creative individual, but it's clear that the creative individuals also need the rest of society, right, to be to play off against. So. Um, it's a lot more, it's a lot less uh, harsh, I guess, uh, than, than the reputation. And where can, where can oh. people pick up a copy? Oh, yeah. uh, well, uh, Kenny has them down at uh, Devaney, Doak, and Garrett. Um, I would encourage people to go to the publisher's own website. That's 8th House, uh, 8, it's the number 8 uh, in Montreal, and they, they have their own website. Of course, you can get it at that site that begins with the letter A that... Mm-hmm. that publishers and booksellers want a person not to mention uh, out loud. So you could go to that website if, you, site if you chose. Which shall not be named. Um, and I have to admit, I check every so often what ranking uh, oh, my yeah. book is. I did it for my first one also. Uh, my first book is uh, scholarly, more scholarly, about a, a book by Nietzsche called Human All to Human, which is one of his lesser known. And I, I wrote on it for my dissertation, and then I expanded it uh, for, for my book, uh, for, uh, as a book, and that came out in 2010, I think the date is. Um, and I have to admit, I check the <laughs> ranking there, and at this point, it's sunk so low, I can tell when someone buys one. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a sudden yeah. spike. You must have seen <laughs> oh, this I've, also. I've, yeah. yeah. Well, you probably don't get Goodreads reviews. of your. Maybe you do. I don't know. Do I you? have not signed up for that. Oh, okay. Well, no, Goodreads reviews, it's a site that people go on for popular reading, uh-huh. for, and so... You know, when oh, you I write, have been on that site. Yes. Yeah, and so you get to read what people think about your books. And okay, that's sometimes a good thing, sometimes bad. Yes, and you know, I've also heard that you know a lot about the Ramones, so maybe someday you'll come back and talk to us about that. Well, that's my next project. This is right. Nietzsche's philosophy of music. This is something else people don't know about him very much, but he he was obsessed with music. And you gave a great really? lecture on it. Was that Thank was you. that recorded? The Beach Boys uh, one is I on think so. somewhere. So yeah, I'm not sure. See, that's the sort of thing that we could put yeah. onto the Library Digital yeah. Commons site, and oh, people cool. could just just watch it. I will ask Tim. I think Tim did record okay. it. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, that'll be that'll be my next project. Um, hopefully someday. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll catch you later. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.